You've heard it before. Rent. It's too damn high. And with Utah's growing population, increase in housing prices, and stagnant wages, that's the case for a lot of Utahns, too. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. This is 45 Days. Every week, we try to shed some light on one big issue at the Utah legislature. This time, we're talking about affordable housing and a couple of bills this session to address the housing crisis. Sonia, you and I are both renters. We've both spent many, many hours searching the internet, looking for apartments. So many hours. So many hours trying to find just the right one at just the right price. (laughs) And, you know, we're both lucky to be housed right at this moment. We're going to talk to Park City Mayor Andy Bierman about affordable housing later in this episode. So why don't we go through a little hypothetical exercise? Are you with me on this? Let's do it. All right. Let's say we want to rent in Park City. Let's head over to Zillow and see what we can find. All right. Zillow.com. www.zillow.com on the World Wide Web. All right, let's type in Park City, Utah into the search bar. And we've got. Oh my gosh, here's one for the great price of $15,000 a month. It does have eight bedrooms. To be fair, yeah, it's got eight bedrooms. It's got a great view, it looks like, <laughs> but it's $15,000 a month. Those are probably the tallest windows that I've ever seen. But this is not in our budget, Sonia, not on our journalist salary. You're telling me I can't pay that much money? (laughs) I don't think so. So let's set a cap on this. Let's look at apartments that are up to $2,000. Come on. All right. So that narrows things down quite a bit. I'm only seeing three. The cheapest one is this $1,700 a month studio apartment. And that, to be clear, a studio apartment That's a no-bedroom apartment. (laughs) It is 200 square feet. For $1,700 a month. Yikes. We've also got one that is $1,900 a month, and it is a one-bed, one-and-a-half bath. And at the top of our list here, we've got a $2,000 a month apartment, one-bed, Two baths at an undisclosed address in Park City. Oh, that seems reasonable. (laughs) So so anyway, we've got three listings here that are $2,000 and under. That says a lot about the housing market in Park City, I think. It's slim pickings, dude. Seriously, these prices are kind of ridiculous. I mean, I certainly couldn't afford them. I am from California, and this Zillow search is giving me major bad flashbacks to trying to find somewhere to live there. The point is, there's not a lot of rentals available here, and even the ones that are available are probably not in a lot of people's budgets that work there, especially because Park City has so many workers that work in the service industry. There are definitely a lot of wealthy people in Park City, you know, a lot of people who can afford to have a second home up there. And actually, in the western part of Summit County, which is where Park City is, the median household income is almost $130,000. Oof. And that, Sonia, is almost $60,000 higher than the rest of the state. Yowza. (laughs) So that in context... Park City is still a resort town. There are three ski resorts in Summit County and more than 100 hotels and restaurants. And it takes a lot of people to staff those businesses. 
So let's say you work in housekeeping at one of those hotels. The average income for a hotel housekeeper in Summit County is around $30,000 a year. Let's do the math then on what that hotel housekeeper could actually afford there. And I'm going to make an educated guess because we just looked through all those listings that they probably could not afford one of those apartments on their own. That is a good guess, Sonia. And there's actually a calculation for that. For housing to be considered, quote unquote, affordable, you should only be spending about a third of your income on it. So using that math, someone making the average salary of a hotel housekeeper should only spend $750 a month on rent. None of those listings we saw were in that price range. No, not even close. I actually used to work in Park City while I was still living in Salt Lake, and I would ride the bus up from Salt Lake to work, and a lot of the people who were on the bus with me would be dressed in their hotel uniforms and name badges. So if they can't afford to live in Park City, it means they're living somewhere else and spending money to commute there every day. But Emily, affordable housing isn't just an issue in Park City. It's an issue in the Salt Lake Valley and something that we hear about from all over the state. Yeah, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, which is a policy research group with the University of Utah, they put out a report that shows since 2015, Utah has had the fourth highest increase in housing prices in the country. And those are for sale prices. So if you're looking to buy a home, and that's a little bit different from rent. But it's the same kind of problem for both categories. There are too many people. There are not enough units. And that drives up the cost. And you can see just from that report that this is a problem that's been building for years now because that report talks about this big increases in housing prices over the past six years. And when I talk to people that have lived here for decades, they just cannot believe how much the cost of housing has gone up. KUER even did an episode about affordable housing on a different podcast almost three years ago. <laughs> and in many ways, it sounds a lot like the episode that you're hearing today. The problem is still huge for the state. People and lawmakers and news organizations have been talking about this for years now. And the state has developed some new programs and put some money into trying to fix it. Can you tell us about how the legislature is addressing the problem this year? Is it more of the same or something a little different? This year, Republican Representative Ray Ward is sponsoring a bill that will loosen restrictions for internal accessory dwelling units, or ADUs as they're called sometimes. Those are things like mother-in-law apartments or basement apartments. Yeah. So Ward's bill would remove some of the zoning and construction restrictions around those basement apartments. And it would also put some funding toward low-interest loans for people who want to build them. Ward says if there are more of these apartments, these accessory dwelling units, then that means there will be more affordable housing available. We as a state have rightfully spent a lot of time already trying to think about affordable housing and how to make things better for folks, sometimes building units, sometimes with tax credits that we put in place. And all of those individual little programs, I would say, have failed before the inexorable demands uh, of supply and demand uh, being in balance. When we restrict supply and demand goes up, the cost goes up. Some cities have already started loosening restrictions on these types of units, like Park City. And I talked to Andy Bierman, who is the mayor of Park City. Affordable housing is one of the city council's big priorities there. 
So I started by asking Mayor Bierman to explain what makes Park City's housing problems unique. Park City's problem is particularly challenging because the rising cost of land and housing is so acute in Park City. The median home sale has risen to just under two and a half million, which puts it in the realm of absurd for not only our workforce or our teachers or essential service workers, but even doctors, lawyers, uh, professionals can't afford to live in town. So it's been very difficult to keep a middle class in Park City. How has the city approached this problem? About five years ago, we set an ambitious goal, or what seemed like an ambitious goal, to build 800 new units by 2026. And the idea behind that is at that point, five years ago, we had about 15% of our workforce living in Park City. And that number was on the decline. And doing the math, we had to build 800 new units to keep that even at a baseline of 15%. So we've been working towards that. We've, we've accomplished that with several hundred new units. We are fortunate as a community that there are a lot of key pieces of land that we have acquired over the years or owned through the years. And we've been able to build some of our own projects on those properties. However, at the rate we're going, we're, we're going to fall short. So council is really looking at other ways to promote housing. We are looking at models that allowed us to build more units and maybe shift from a for-own model to a rental model. And we're also looking at our code and seeing how we can incentivize the private sector or even our nonprofit partners like Habitat for Humanity and Mountainlands to do more projects in Park City. Talk about the role of accessory dwelling units in addressing Park City's affordable housing program and if your community likes them. They're actually allowed in most of Park City. So um, they're zone four. The challenge with accessory dwelling units in Park City is they're mostly blocked by the HOAs. So the city allows it, but the HOA laws as an overlay don't allow it. Council does feel like they're a good tool. In fact, our most recent housing project, we built four units that had accessory dwelling units attached to the affordable units. So it's something we're supportive of. However, we are not at all supportive of the current piece of legislation, the HB 82 by Representative Ward. Why not? You know, it's it's frustrating for us when the legislature tries to come up with one size fits all roles that they overlay across the state because every community has slightly different needs. And one of these pieces of legislation a few years ago was the short-term rental bill, but it basically took away the inability of towns to monitor and police those short-term rentals. And as a result, Park City now has over 5,000 short-term rentals in our, in our housing, and over 2,000 of those are illegal units. And the challenge with that is it's decimated our workforce housing. Previously, a lot of those units were affordable housing. With this new model, not only can you get away with having them unlicensed, but you can make more money with them potentially. So my concern is if we do something that facilitates the growth of more ADUs, but we don't have the ability to monitor those, we're just going to make a growing problem all the more acute. So as it stands, I, I, I like the spirit of the bill that, that we need to promote accessory dwellings in Utah, but I think it, it needs to be done with a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. As it stands right now, then, accessory dwelling units haven't necessarily been as useful a tool as you've wanted in affordable housing. 
No, we see the potential there. But again, uh, so many of our HOAs restrict them. We haven't seen widespread use. But I will say the city thinks we can refine it some more to encourage it. There are some neighborhoods where they're allowed and they don't have HOA restrictions. And we've talked with those owners and found out, um, you know, what the barriers are for them. And part of our new housing code that we hope to implement later this year, it's currently in front of the Planning Commission, is going to loosen some of the restrictions on ADOs and hopefully allow for more, um, more use of that in Park City. So we see those as a strong tool. The downside is always neighborhood impacts. Do they have enough parking for those units? Are those units legal? Are they safe? And how do they impact the surrounding neighbors? I think generally there's more fear that they'll have impacts than there are actual impacts in those kind of situations. Like you said, from community to community, this problem looks a little bit different. So what should a city's role be in addressing its affordable housing woes? Well, I think any city that doesn't prioritize it and address it does so at their own peril. Certainly, it's challenging right now. Communities grow best when they grow at a rate they can keep up with it. Your infrastructure, both physical and human and social infrastructure, can can keep up with. And I think we're pressed right now because Utah is such a popular place to be. I don't think we're going to build our way out of this. I hear a lot of desire that we just need to build quicker and we're going to solve it. I don't think it's that simple. I think we need to take a hard look at at where we're growing and how we're growing and continue to plan that well. And I think planning is best done on a local level. I just I'd like to see a better conversation on a statewide level. I think the League of Cities and Towns and the counties association need to work with the state legislature. And we're not going to fix this by just reducing regulations or taking authority away from local cities and towns. It's something we have to have a comprehensive plan for and we have to set realistic expectations. And then the legislature can give us the tools. Park City Mayor Andy Bierman said he actually does not support Representative Ray Ward's accessory dwelling units bill, even though that's something that they have focused on as part of their affordable housing solutions. And to him, it seems like it's an issue of local control, right? How do other cities feel about it? Well, that's also the position of the Utah League of Cities and Towns, and they represent almost 250 cities throughout Utah. Basically, the argument is they don't want the state telling them how to run their city. That's an issue that crops up in a lot of different policy areas up on the Hill. Right. The League has been working with Representative Ward on the bill to make it a little bit more palatable for these municipalities, and it's slowly working its way through the legislature. Accessory dwelling units are just one tool in cities and states' tool belts to address affordable housing. What else is the state looking at? The state also has a fund to support the development of affordable housing by helping subsidize new construction. Senator Derek Kitchen, who's a Democrat, has requested $15 million to go into this fund. There's also a request from Republican Senator Jake Anderig to put $5 million into that same pot of money. And this isn't a new thing for Anderig. He usually runs at least one affordable housing bill each year. The $5 million that he's requesting is actually refunding money that the legislature cut over the summer when they were cutting the budget because of the pandemic. And House Speaker Brad Wilson said he thinks this is actually a good year to fund affordable housing. He wouldn't say how much. <laughs> he wouldn't say the dollar amount, but it at least it's something that's on his mind this year. 
All of what we've been talking about so far this episode gets to the supply side of the affordable housing issue, trying to build more units. The idea being that if you create more supply, the demand will go down and therefore the prices will also go down. But the supply is not the only thing at play here. There's also the issue of how much money people make and the state's wage gap. Right. Another big part of this is wages. Ivis Garcia Zambrana is a professor at the University of Utah, and her research focuses on housing and communities. We know that wages have been stagnant in the United States pretty much since the 70s. And uh, we know that that's one of the reasons that more and more families need to have two incomes to be able to compensate. And it is just like hard, again, to be able to afford. And that's something the state does have the power to address. This conversation has also become part of the national conversation recently, too. President Joe Biden and other Democrats have talked about raising the national minimum wage to $15 an hour. And some other states have already done that or raised it to part of that amount. To be clear, Utah's minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, and it's set to match the federal minimum wage. But it's been that way since 2009. A lot has changed since 2009. Two Democratic lawmakers here in Utah have proposed bills to raise the minimum wage. One of them would do it a little more incrementally. But House Speaker Wilson doesn't seem to really support this idea. He said he thinks increasing the minimum wage would set Utah back on its economic recovery. But honestly, the jury is kind of out on that. (laughs) And there is a lot of conflicting data on how a higher minimum wage would actually impact the economy. So for now, it seems like Utah is mostly focused on building more units to address its affordable housing problems. Sonia, we are halfway through the legislative session. What else happened this week? (laughs) All right. Number one, Paris Hilton testified at a committee hearing up on Capitol Hill this week about youth treatment centers, the troubled teen industry. She came to support a bill that creates more oversight for those types of centers. And Paris Hilton has been really outspoken about her experience at one of those facilities in Provo. Number two, lawmakers debated a bill that would make it illegal to protest at people's houses. This legislation is in response to protests at the houses of several public officials last year, including the state epidemiologist, Dr. Angela Dunn. This bill, if it goes into effect, would make this type of protesting punishable by up to six months in jail. And number three, for the third year in a row, the legislature is talking about free speech on college campuses. This year, they're debating a bill that would restrict what type of speech can be punished at colleges. So if the bill passes, universities would only be able to discipline students if their speech was so discriminatory that it severely undermined another student's access to their education. That does it for this week on 45 Days. I'm Emily Means. And I'm Sonia Hudson. The show was edited by Caroline Ballard and produced by Roddy Nickpour. Chelsea Naughton is our digital editor. Trisha Bobita is KUER's podcast manager. Our news director is Elaine Clark, and the station manager is Joel Meyer. 45 Days is a production of KUER. 
We also send out a newsletter every Monday that recaps the previous week in politics. You can sign up for it at 45days.org. That's the number 45days.org. Talk to you next week. What are we going to do with eight beds and seven bathrooms? Dude, I'm telling you, KUER Hype House, just like the TikTok stars. From KUER.